This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace! Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. Hmm. How's it going? Good. Yeah? Yeah, super. Sorry I'm late. Oh, you know, it happens every week. (laughs) Um, Well, you know... Literally every week. (laughs) <laughs> the thing about, about being late is... Uh, yeah, I would love to hear this. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's time yeah. is a flat circle. Oh, I see. Yeah, time time uh, is a bubble. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Time, why, why is my bubble always here at 9.59? <laughs> time <laughs> begets time. Oh, time, man. Yeah, time you, over you help time. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How you doing? You doing time right? after time? Did you have to do stuff, or is it just the usual? No, no, I had stuff to do. Oh, uh, that's the worst. I, yeah, there was just a little bit of stuff. <sighs> this is an exciting <sighs> episode. This is episode uh, two zero seven of the show. Two oh seven. Two oh seven was my laundry number mm. when I was in military school. Do you remember the mailbox number when you were in college? I think so. Yeah. Oh, I, gosh. You know, you get these certain three-digit numbers that just float around. I want to say, actually, you know what? I've, I've got the door from it right here. I stole it when I left school. Hmm. Roof? <laughs> yeah, I stole the door <laughs> off my... Uh, yeah. Uh, it still has It still has the sticker. Uh, it's got a... You saw it. It's still got, it's got a little old-timey door with the window. Oh, it's, yeah. It's still got the J.R. Bob Dobbs sticker on it, and I think it still has the Columbia House sticker for uh, U2's War. <laughs> well, so what number was it? I'll find out. Hang on. Yeah, yeah. do, do, do. Do 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 Okay. This, this, the lesson of this, uh, listeners, is to steal the things that mean something to you. Yeah, it'll mean more to me. You know what? I should have said it because I was right. 289. 289. Yep. 289, also a great uh, Ford engine. Is, is that right? Yeah, there was a, the 289 was a... It was a hot rod Ford motor. Oh, hot rod 289. The 289. It was... Uh, Is that cubic st- inches, John? Yeah. It doesn't seem like a big motor Mm-mm. compared to like a 350. Or a 456. Or a 456, <laughs> but a 289, <laughs> 455, 456, whatever it takes. Double barrel Hemmings. Hemi. Yeah, Hemming. You got a Hemi. Hemi you got to want to bore your Hemis. You got a Hemi and a Hemmings. Mm-hmm. A Hemmings is where you would sell a Hemi. Yeah, you put some thrush on the transmission. Yeah, you get a little, put a little thrush, put some armor all on the mm-hmm. tires. Got a, dose roll. Of, got a dose of thrush from licking railings. Were you a big Bell and Sebastian fan? Uh, I remember when Bell and Sebastian took over the world. Yep. The first, I would call them the first twee. Isn't they, aren't they the first twee? I would call them more mopey. When I think twee, I think of cub. Or I think of um, like maybe the raincoats a little bit. But, oh boy, Cub and the raincoats! Woo! You know what Cub is? Cub is uh, everyone's your friend in New York City. Now I don't know why I would sing a Cub song as John Flansburg, but they're the Are ones who originally did that song. It's it's virtually tuneless. It's delightful. Well, you know uh, that's a uh, that's a John Flansburg uh, uh, feature. Uh, that's uh, oh the which part the tuneless. Well, no, 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 no. But the, that's a, that song is a big feature for him in their set. I, I, I can't imagine anybody else having written that song but him. And alas, it was not. 
That's a good no. It's a good ass song. It's a really good ass song. Yeah, it's a good. Yeah, the ass of that song is good. That's a good ass song. Uh, Let me go back in the stack. Bell and Sebastian. Yeah, Bell and Sebastian. I I got into them on their like second or third. I think I got in on the on the Green album. Yeah, it wasn't the gray one or the red one, but I came to love the gray one and the red one. But that doesn't really seem like your kind of music. I was, you know, I was. Let's let's say I was Bell and Sebastian adjacent. Oh, sure. And um, you were so, in the room where it happens, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was, you know, I was feeling that. I was feeling that. The- their songs, their songs, they they do a thing that I love. You you know I me, mean? you know I love a mid tempo power pop song. I do, I do know that. Where if you do it too much above mid tempo, it becomes now it becomes like a cheap trick song. Well, mm-hmm. some cheap, cheap trick has those too. But like, what reason I love? I love a good teenage fan club song. It's like a mid tempo song. That's exactly what I was about to say. Teenage fan club. Yeah, you take something like everything flows, or a good you take, a, a good mid tempo pop song. If everything flows were any faster, it would not be my favorite song. First favorite song in the nineties. Now with Bell and Sebastian, they do something different where they're like they've got this kind of like propulsive. It's really it's like downbeat Arthur Lee's love in some ways. Like oh, they're for the, they're uh, like that song. If you're feeling sinister, it's basically alone again. Or you know, wow, you are dropping some uh, pop music vocabulary. <laughs> I think I had too much coffee. <laughs> I cannot keep up with it all. You you have mentioned. 42 pop culture <laughs> references, and it all has just sound like made up words. Let's get this yeah, guy in front totally. of the crowd. Yeah, totally. You know, the parking lot lines. Anthony that was went my to favorite. a Catholic church because. Of the, 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 but, but if it was any faster. Dun, 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 dun. It's got, you know, the oh. song again, Alone Again. Uh, oh, no, I don't. Or... I don't know anything that you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what does you're it, talking does about. Does it really just sound like word salad? Yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure that I was in some places where these musics were happening, but I do not remember them by name. Have you ever heard the band Love? Uh, of course. Okay, well they did that their famous song. Their famous song, which I which I dunk to dunk. But you're your famous song dunk to dunk. You're referencing that song in reference to another song that I I it's the this is it's like songs I don't know all the way down. I I literally patted a little hard there. Uh yes. Yes. Okay, never mind. It's not important. No, we came out of the gate and you were like, Woo! Music episode. And I was like, Woo! It was like you were waving a dildo in my face. <laughs> and I was like, I can't, again, again, again. I can't, I can't be in this music episode. It's only three minutes long. Okay. And I'm already just like, wow, anyway, talk about Led Zeppelin. They're funny and literate. Now, see, I'm going to guess that that's a band Sean liked. That seems Ooh. like a very Sean kind of band. Well, the, so Bell er- and Sebastian, not Arthur Lee's Love. Early, two, either early 2000s, there was a lot going on. That it wasn't, it wasn't over my head or above my pay grade. It was just that I was. Um, there was a moment where I suddenly felt behind the curve, and everything got way softer and prettier. Mm-hmm. But the soft prettiness wasn't. It didn't convey like either softness or prettiest it was like a prettiness it was aggressively quiet and aggressively soft and pretty i felt i didn't yeah. know where i didn't know where to go with it that, that, and, that, that's me and and, and uh, what, what they call post rock i've never understood post rock and i tried cuz i really felt like that was the jazz of the late 90s yeah post rock was the jazz of the late 90s uh, post rock is going to make indie rock <laughs> look like college rock <laughs> 
Yeah, no, post rock. I didn't get it. I like. I mean, like, I tried the tortoise. I tried the uh, the car band. Uh, what, was the, what was the other band? The, the, but there were all those bands, and it was just a bunch of, I don't know. It was like a like vibes, vibes oh. and brush drums and like motor well, noises. I mean, you're describing American analog set, except minus the uh, the motor noises. Hmm. American analog set. Mm-hmm. The, okay. the actually the vibes player for American analog set plays the vibes on the Long Winters album. Or the Long Winter song, Nora. Nora. Bing bong. Bing bong. Bing, Bing bong said the vibes. Bing bong. Vibes looks hard to play because you got the you got two mallets in each hand and you're playing octaves mostly, right? Uh, no. No, I don't think so. Inter- you're playing different intervals with yes. two mallets in each hand? Yes. They call, them, they a- call them hammers or mallets? What do they call it? Uh, I think they call them uh, bongers. Bongers. It would be. Uh, there's I a woman it was here in Seattle. An octave. I thought it was like a Mac from Superchunk kind of uh, octave. No, thing. I think you can do octaves, but mm. you can. It's like playing the piano. A, a vibe is set up like a piano. But it's between your fingers. That must be so hard to do. Well, uh, it is hard to do. This is the thing about being good at a musical instrument. Mm. It's almost universally hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> and no matter which one you pick. And you just pick one and go for it. You're so wise. Um, there's a woman here in Seattle named Erin Jorgensen, mm-hmm. and she is a very small uh, human, right? Like uh, she's small in stature and also small in in all dimensions. A uh, little uh, redheaded. Uh, oh, she's cool looking. Uh, girl, yeah, and she has. Uh, she's got she has cool very, tattoos. She has very short hair and very tattoo, very good tattoos, and she plays the vibes uh, spectacularly. And she schleps her, I'm saying a lot of words that are hard to say, mm-hmm. and it's early in the morning for me, uh, spectacularly, she schleps her vibes, <laughs> which are a gigantic thing. Uh, she schleps them all over town, and she's one of those musicians that will play a show with somebody and then schlep her vibes over and play another show. And she that has takes, like, That must take such commitment. It's, it's, but she's spectacular, and she has marimbas. Which are vibes? Let me. I'm gonna just throw this out there. I don't. I don't know what I'm actually saying, but I think they are vibes made out of wood. Mm-hmm. Marimba. You got which, you got, got Glockenspiel. You got the xylophone. You yeah. got the marimba, yeah. and you and you got the vibes. The, the marimba. And the vibes, the the vibes have pipes. I think. Don't they have big pipes? Uh, vibes have actually an electrical component, which is <clears throat> something that is spinning underneath, like a Leslie. Yeah, you can turn on and off, and it's uh, as the sound travels down the pipe, this little spinning flap uh, will make it go. Like a Leslie speaker, exactly. It's it's a Leslie. Badass. It's a but it's an analog Leslie, so the it's actually foot pedal for foot pedal for that. Yeah. At one point in the 1980s, my dad, who had always been a huge fan of Lionel Hampton. Uh, Dad decided that his new instrument was going to be the vibes. Now, a little <laughs> that bit seems of back- like quite a commitment. <laughs> a little bit of backstory: he had no prior instrument, mm-hmm. so he decided it was going to be his new instrument, absent a former instrument. And he was what seventy? Seventy? Let's say seventy. And. Maybe he's six, 60, he was 67, let's say that. <clears throat> and he's like, I'm going to get some vibes. This was before he talked like this. It was when he <laughs> talked like this. He said, I'm going to get some vibes. I was like, I, I'm, not sh- 
I'm not sure where we're going to put them, Dad. And where he put them was in the TV watching room behind the TV watching couch. I think imagining that he was going to play the vibes while watching the TV. And so there was <laughs> on the face of it, it makes so much sense, right? There's, you could just be watching, watching your stories or looking at prices, right? That's right. And you just he, bust the little Hampton. He only watched TV at night, so there were no stories. There was no price of right. It was always um, he could watch Magnum. Yeah, I, I don't think he watched Magnum, but he huh. did. He huh. did That's watch. Uh, he liked to watch war movies, right? He liked he liked to watch old classic movies. So all of a sudden, behind the couch appeared this enormous, shiny uh, set of vibraphones, which he never again touched. Oh, God. It's he, like a treadmill. He touched them to bring them in the house, mm-hmm. never touched them again. So, of course, I would sit there and play the vibes. Wow. Uh, to everyone's uh, uh, massive annoyance. And I would sit and, you know, like I have, like I've always done with every instrument, I refused any instruction or any information about them and just sat at them and made my own clink, clink, clink. Well, because the, because it had this electricity and they were, you know, they were fairly loud. No, you're right. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking that wah, 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 wah kind of yeah. sound. And so I would play these things. I never got the two mallets per hand business at all. I just uh, I just had one mallet per hand, and but I would do the I would do the rapid like kind of stuff with the fast moving mallets. And boy, did I have a time! I had as much I had so much of a time that, that and briefly, this was the this is the best part of this, and I had completely forgotten it until now. My dad said, "You know what I should do." Since I never play the vibes, but you're getting pretty good at it. I've always been intrigued by the steel drum. <laughs> and there was a brief moment where he was... You mean like the thing that the guys play like at a beach bar? Yeah, that's right. The tune, the, the, like, it's like a 55-gallon drum that's been tuned. That's been tuned. Mm-hmm. Hammered. The face has been hammered in such a way that it can play multiple <laughs> notes. And... That must be quite a conversation piece. Well, the thing is, there was there was briefly a moment where I was super excited that I was going to get a set of steel drums behind the couch because short of the bagpipes, there's only one instrument. I mean, that is the instrument that if you don't know how to play it, you cannot imagine how annoying it is. I'd put it, it up there. I'd put violin up there. Oh, yeah. And maybe, maybe Maybe French horn. There's certain Clarinet. ones where you don't want to listen to some. There's certain instruments you don't want to listen to somebody learn to play. The more you the more you mention that, I think that also is true of every instrument. Okay, that's number two. That's good, right? Uh, but so, oh my God, the the potential of the vibes <clears throat> because late '80s, right? I mean, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of reggae music. Yeah, reggae music, man. I and I love Kokomo. That's right, Ja Rastafari. Uh, and so reggae music was happening in a big way. Reggae rock music, reggae rock music, roots was rock, happening. roots rock reggae, roots rock reggae, mm-hmm. and the idea that maybe I could, maybe I could find <laughs> I an interest. The idea of you and your father having a reggae band, you know, like I was, I'd get into that scene through the back door by being the one guy that could, the one white guy that could <laughs> play the John drum. Brown always hated me. <laughs> 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 
So, oh yeah, and some roto toms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he abandoned the steel drums idea, and and it was never spoken of again. And I think it was. I think he abandoned it because you could not find steel drums in Alaska without considerable work, more work than he was prepared to do. And then one day gave the vibes, I think, to my niece or something. The vibes just disappeared one day. <laughs> uh, and that's no small feat because they, you know, they weighed as much as a Honda Civic. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, we have a long history. And I, I think Dad realized at that point that what he needed to do was, it, to satisfy, to scratch that itch, uh, what he needed to do was just listen to Lionel Hampton tapes. Which is uh, what he like, Think about like uh, what I think of like uh, modern jazz quartet. Modern jazz quartet, just uh, so so gorgeous. Also, modern jazz quartet was one of my favorite indie rock bands of the late nineties. That's right. They didn't realize. They didn't realize <laughs> yeah. it was too late. I like the Brown album. They had to change the name of Chicken Bone as, Intervention. Not as much as the Gray album, <laughs> but sort of. Uh, oh sort yeah, of like, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, sort of like Jimmy's Chicken Shack was the was the like Alabama version of. Oh yeah, right. Uh, yeah, like Martin's. First wheel, which was <laughs> Martin's which first was, wheel. Martin's I can't believe wheel. you know them. I had their EP. Yeah, I know. I was, I it used, was a printed right onto a shirt. I never knew Martin. No, but I, knew, I knew his first wheel pretty. No, well. I think Martin uh, wasn't ever actually in the band. I mean, that's one of those funny things. It's like a Ned's Atomic Dustbin. Oh, there was, I see. There was an actual Dustbin dust in the band. Was was Ned's Atomic Dust Band an emo band? Here's everything I know about Ned's Atomic Dust Band. Number two. Ready, go. Okay, number two, I would always turn it off when they came on 120 Minutes. (laughs) Number one, I remember Dave Kendall saying, Ned's Atomic Dust Band. And that would be my signal to move to number two and turn it off. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. In our our dorm, in our dorm, well, our dorm, in our house, the three of us would wake every Sunday. No, every Monday, I guess. After we got back from class, we'd watch 120 Minutes, which right. we taped the night before. Right. And there were rules. Now, wait a minute. Who is Nigel Dormer? Nigel Dormer invented the window. Quoi? Uh, oh, right. Nigel Dormer did. Sure. Oh, That's sure. What... Nigel Dormer. You're talking about Ni- what... Oh, Nigel Dormer, the one from Cambridge? Nigel Dormer invented the Dormer. That's why it's called the Dormer. That's right. And right. Uh, John Crapper uh, invented the uh, floor. Hmm. Um, and so, uh, Michael and Dan and I would, we get home from our classes on, on Monday, we get back to our house and we watch 120 minutes, but there were rules. This is not nom. This is, this is bowling. There are rules. What are the rules of watching 120 minutes minutes are, there are certain things you can and must fast forward over and other things you don't. Cause part of this was, oh, oh, you taped it on VHS. It's the only way to fly. I see. You can never go back. This is, this is 1989. And, um, boy, was that show pretty good. Uh, um, yeah, it was good then. It was. I mean, well, it didn't hurt that there was just so much good music. There was I mean, great music. It's funny because when you said that, we were talking about like the quiet bands. I'm just thinking about. And I, I was in my head. This is a slight derail, but I'm thinking in my head. I wonder if it was just the late '80s and the late '90s. There was. I felt like there was such an explosion of music that felt like it was for me. So you're saying that it might have something to do with the lates. Could be the lates, but it could also be just like what I'm ready for, what I'm into, what's available. Oh wait a minute. Let's let's trace this for a second. The okay. late '60s. The yeah, late seventies, awesome. Wait a minute, it's the lates. <gasps> oh, this is your time. Put it out. Put the it late. Put out a record. No, you no, you should put out your next record that does okay. And I think in two thousand eighteen, that's when you drop the banger. So you put out something in in the in the sixteens that's like it kind of presages. This the is new your beach movement. slang EP. This is where you like put out the EP that gets uh, people excited. Have you listened uh-huh. to beach slang? Oh, so much. Okay. Um, and what was the EP <laughs> that uh, My Bloody Valentine put out before? Before the, Loveless. Before the good one. Though they had Is Anything? 
was was one. Mm-hmm. They, is anything I think was the record before that? Oh no, the one with um, is it not when you sleep? But they had the one glider. I might have been glider. I think it was the mm-hmm. glider EP. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but I mean, is anything is still like you could just listen. To is anything go holy shit? Like this is holy. Shit. This is head and shoulders above most. I mean, I like I like a fair amount of shoegaze, but like I mean, obviously, Loveless is on a different level. Sure, a totally different level. And How that's much a, that's shoegaze? 80, that's uh, what that's ninety one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, I might not have a point here, but I was gonna say was we watch one hundred twenty minutes. I don't know why I'm telling you this. Two hundred seven is my laundry number. Rap. Arthur Lee's love. Two hundred seven is so- no. I, I don't want to derail this. No shit. I'm looking back through my note cards here. Two zero seven. So the area code of Seattle is two zero six. That was right? last week's episode. And two zero seven is a number, uh, an area code that periodically comes up on my phone when somebody is phone spamming me. Oh, interesting. I do. But I could not tell you what that area code is. It's just close enough to two zero six, as you can imagine. What's mm-hmm. one away? Maine. It's Maine, and I'm periodically fooled. Oh yeah. Uh, to at least to almost answer it and you know you know it's you know it's spam it's you know at, it. as soon as i as soon as i realize what it is i'm like ah could be like your daughter I, in a well though better pick right. up i pick it up and i'm like did my daughter go to maine is she in a well <laughs> you no. want us to follow you lassie <laughs> ruff, ruff, <laughs> what ruff, ruff. what the coffee's done brewing <laughs> 207 so the rule was you could skip past you could we usually watch the beginning because they'd say like who the guests are going to be and stuff like that i thought that the 120 minutes had the had the kid with the the mullet that's his name was like frankie or something first, or was first you had kevin seals oh. then you had dave kendall and then Did i think I? later you had matt pinfield i want to say did I ever tell you that I was in a play with Kevin Seal? I saw Kevin Seal in the audience at Torch Song Trilogy. Hmm. What play were you in? I don't remember. Hmm. It was a play, some play, some alternative nation play back in the day where there was like some fire breathing and there was a funicular in the play. My goodness. It was a musical and I played the harmonica at one point. I think I might have been. I did quite a few plays uh, in the '90s where I was. I was kind of the guy in Seattle that you would stunt cast. Oh, nice! Like, oh, the guy from the Long or no, I wasn't in the Long Winners then. The guy from he, you know, he's. I was just a hanger on, and they would put me in, put me in roles where I kind of would walk on, play play a character named Tiny. Yeah, or I. At one point, I was Cool Hand Luke. Oh man, uh, really? Yeah, where you walk, it's like here comes Cool Hand Luke. You were the titular I, Luke, or you were Dragline? I was. You were the guy who ate, ate ate fifty eggs. I was the guy that could that. Well, yeah, you can't. No, ain't, ain't no man can eggs. eat fifty eggs. But I came out and was Cool Hand Lukin for a while. But in this in this play, I played the harmonica and I maybe sang a song about a funicular. Mm. Uh, funiculi, kept, funicular, funicula, funiculum. That's funny to three people. <laughs> <laughs> and Kevin um, Seals, who was he was in Seattle at the time doing some Romans plays. who are here go to their house. Mm? No, conjugate that. Oh, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, oh. Uh, Funiculate, funiculos, yeah. funiculatus, funiculatum, <laughs> funicula. So don't do it. Don't do it. I am lost. Uh, Kevin Seal was in the play, and Kevin Seal. We've talked about him before, haven't we? I think we did. Kevin Seal was such a hero to me. Really? He was perpetually stony. He was very stony. His his 
his sense of humor was so great. He was the first person that appeared on television that I was like, oh my God, that guy would be my friend. Yeah, like, I mean, oh my I, God, I like Joel, wish that Joel guy. Hodgson, like he comes along and you're like, who is this guy? There's nobody on TV like this person. Mm-hmm. And I was so thrilled by him. If he was on TV, I would drop everything and just watch him because wow. he was such a, he just seemed like such a, such a friend. And I'd never had that experience before that. And I had, I've never had that experience since then. And I didn't want him to do anything else, right? I didn't want him to go into film. I didn't want him to, I just wanted him to stay on MTV and continue to play We're the Kids in America mm-hmm. and have funny things to say about it. Uh, I didn't want him to, to I, I, never, I think I never wanted anything about that moment to change, except I wanted to stop looking like an uncooked scallop. <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. You can start building your website today by going to squarespace.com, enter the very special offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout, And that will get you 10% off your first purchase. I know you've heard of Squarespace, but I want you to be using Squarespace. If you're listening to this podcast right now, which I have to assume that you are, you're already using Squarespace. Turns out that is where we have hosted the Roderick on the Line program for, I don't know, 15, 16 years now. But you got to try this for yourselves. they got easy-to-use tools and templates. They're going to help you capture every detail of what drives you. Because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. Squarespace puts all the power you need into your hands. It takes away all the pain points. You don't have to worry about hosting or scaling or what to do if you get stuck with something. With Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level. There's no coding required. You'll easily be able to make your website look and feel exactly how you want. And Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology to power your site. That ensures security and stability. They are trusted by millions of people in the world, including John and me. The site templates for Squarespace are just stunning to look at. And they all feature responsive design, which is a fancy nerd way of saying that they're going to look good regardless of the dingus upon which your site is viewed. This is just getting started. Squarespace has tons of awesome features. They got 24 by 7 support with live chat and email. They got the Squarespace commerce platform so you can sell stuff. You can have a store on your site. How about that? They had this wonderful thing called the cover page. This is a functionality that lets you build great looking single page websites like all the cool kids are doing. Rock solid, fast hosting, so much more. If you want to stretch Squarespace further, you can check out their dev platform. Now, here's the thing. If you sign up for a year, you're also going to get a free domain name. That means you can name your site whatever you want. And the Squarespace plans start at just $8 American per month. That's a pretty screaming deal. Start your trial today with no credit card required. Start building that website by going to squarespace.com. And when you sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code SUPERTRAIN. At checkout, that'll get you 10% off your first purchase and... It shows your support for Roderick on the Line. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. Other than that, <laughs> he was perfect. And then, so I'm in this play with him. And what? He's like two years older than me. He's, he wasn't that old. That's sickening. And he's like, he had a wife and kids. He moved to Seattle. He's still super nice. He's exactly like, he's exactly in person like he was on TV. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Yeah, but he wasn't on TV. You know, now a lot of those people that were on TV in the 90s, they continue to have careers as like comedians or people. You know what I mean? Like Michael Ian Black was on TV 
in the 90s, but now he continues to just sort of be uh, he's a character in the world. Yeah. Right. Uh, and Kevin Seal didn't, I don't think, make that transition. He's like he's a, a, he's a stay-at-home dad. Stay-at-home dad. I'm reading it right now on the Wikipedia. Yeah. He lives there with his wife. He does voiceover work and is a stay-at-home dad to his can, son. Can you imagine? Isn't that you, nice? I mean, you're almost a stay-at-home dad. Well, I don't really work. So, I, think I, mean, technically. I think you're nine one-hundredths. Yeah, I'm a, phone, I'm a phone-it-in dad. Aww. And the rule was... That if it was a song we had not heard, even if it was something that we were not into, even if it was Ned's Atomic Dustbin, mm-hmm. you had to listen, you had to stay, and li- <laughs> that's maybe where I got the habit, you had to listen through through the first chorus. So you basically had to listen to a verse or two and the chorus. And then, by, uh, by consent, the three of us would vote on whether to listen to the rest of the song, and it was almost oh. always like a skip it. Uh, but that was the was- was this yet the era of the super long intro, or did that come in the early 90s? That feels a little more like a 90s thing. This is, this is to me, the heyday of MTV. This is when, I mean, I don't know. This, I mean, obviously there's the, like... A t- totally just a coincidence that you were 19. <clears throat> well, the, the, when MTV first came along, it was, you, it was for hobbyists. You had yeah. to really sit there and wait for a video you liked to come on, because they had, like, 200 videos, period. Yeah. And, you know, they all seem to be the motels, only the lonely. <clears throat> well, or, except or I ran. For, you know, well, there were the same videos you'd see over Oliver's Army, the same videos you'd see over and over and over. What was the band from New Zealand that was fronted by the brother of the young kid that ended up being the crowded house guy? Uh, split Ends. Split Ends. I would wait for hours for a split ends. Their videos are ends. so weird. Yeah, that, that, they were one of the ones that were, they were not in heavy rotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Boy, by the time a Split Ends video would come along, I will. Yeah, I would have seen Iran like six times. Yeah, but you would see so like Split Ends. You'd see I got you. You'd see six months in a leaky boat. I got you. And they're all in the painting in the background. Oh, I love that video. But by 1989, MTV was absolutely a thing. By 85, MTV was a thing. Oh, totally. But they were still showing videos. They had good like shows about music videos. They had Headbangers Ball. They had. I mean, oh, that's the one with Ricky Frankie. Ricky J. Ricky Savage. Not Ricky Van. Not Ricky J. He's the one that can. These cards coming from. I can't get rid of these cards. No, Your you card is a jack of hearts. Ricky Rocket. Ricky, Ricky Rocket. That's it. Was that right? Am I going? I'm it. guessing. And no, then you Ricky. also had, but you also had my favorite, Young TV Raps, which is oh, amazing. Yeah. So I, yeah. I'm going to call 1989 the banner year for MTV. Although I have to say, Fab Five Freddy did yeah. not have a lot of telegenic presence. No, he didn't. Yeah, that's confusing. He's a legendary character. Was he the Fab Five Freddy? What? Was he the Fab Five Freddy of, oh, yeah. of the Blondie song? Oh, yeah, that's Fab Five That's weird, because remember, there was t- also, there was another, then it was hosted by uh, Ed Lover and Dr. Dre, right. except it's a different Dr. Dre than Not the Dr. Different Dre. Dr. Dre. But the thing is, I think there are a lot of Dr. Dre's. Dr. Dre. Because, Dr. Dre, thank you. Because Dre is short for Dreyfus. <laughs> It's not short for Dreyfus, and that's a very, very popular name it in is. the African American community. A lot of the, a lot of them, when they came to Ellis Island, they changed it because they didn't want to sound Jewish. You know, so they changed you know, the Dreyfus to Wits. It's, it's not Dreyfus anymore. It's Dreyfus. No, Richard uh, and Andre. So that's what Doctor Dre is short. <laughs> okay. And a lot of people, you know, were like, "I'm a, I'm, I'm the a, doctor of the rockers." <laughs> or the, I'm not know, a real the, doctor, but I am a real Dre. Exactly. So Doctor Dre was popular, but how are you going to have a second Fab Five Freddy? 
There's yeah. no way. There's no way somebody else could be like, I'm also Fab Five ready. See, no, Matt, Matt Finfield was doing it, I think, in the 90s when I was still taping it, when I'd moved to Tallahassee. I, I always liked how interested he seemed in the music, but he didn't have the kind of like uh, glitzy showbiz feeling. But like Dave Kendall used to drive me a little bit crazy. There's a Tumblr that's just, uh, just what Dave Kendall was wearing on 120 Minutes. It's tremendous. I also wanted to share something that I don't know if I've talked about much, but uh, reminds me of your vibe story. Mm, mm. For some some reason, I think in 1980, uh, my mom, who had taken piano lessons as a kid, she could still like, you know, she could sit down and play some piano. She thought, oh, I'd like to get one of those, uh, you know, an organ, like a Sears organ. Oh, yeah. 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 What's the. uh, Yeah. Drum machine. I don't know if she bought it or was gifted it, but she had it was a very cheap sears-ish organ at our house it had the two keyboards uh and it had the drums it had a foxtrot it, it had, had the little waltz. button keyboard that played this chords. is the key this uh, is yeah. the key is it had the buttons yeah. so we got this and she didn't actually play it very much but it came with it was an organ an electric organ with a bench and the bench had some uh songbooks in it books in it books in it it's in it um right. including like so basically she didn't do it much but i had absolutely nothing to do to fill my time this is in the Hall and Oates era. And I would just sit down and try to play songs from the Fiddler on the Roof book. But it's also, I would write little songs using the buttons. Because you didn't need to know how to play an E minor. You oh. just needed to know what button hit. And I learned stuff like G, E minor, C, D. I learned yeah. C, F, G, A minor. Like that's, this is two, three years before I had a guitar. That's when I, and I don't never, I never really think about this, but we had a book of like spiritual, like a Reader's Digest religious music book. We had like a, you know, American classic songs. And I would just sit and uh, play terribly on this organ and then and turn, turn, the, uh, turn the rock and roll beat up really fast. So it sounded kind of punk rock. But so it turns out that's we how had... I learned. That's, that's basically how I learned. I've been through accordion lessons. I've been through trombone lessons. Whoa, I've been through whoa, 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 so whoa. many different things. Accordion lessons? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's no, right. You were from Ohio. That's right. That's right. None of it stuck. I hated it all. It wasn't until I was on my own with the organ hmm, mm-hmm. that I would sit there and, and, and beat out some, uh, some little tunes. <laughs> we had the same <laughs> organ, and uh, my mom bought it for the same reason. He turned it on, and it sounded like it was mm-hmm. like, yeah, exactly. Like, the fan wo- was, wound up. Yeah. But uh, my game on it was every once in a while, and, 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 not, and not infrequently, I would go in, turn the organ on. The fan would come up. I would turn on the marimba beat, or whatever. Some, mm-hmm. you know, I would I would set the tempo mid tempo because that's the great greatest tempo. Yes, and then I would start at the top of the of the button uh, series, and I would play. I would I would just go down the row. I would play each. I would pu- push each button for like sixteen bars. While on the piano, I would play some like little two or three note melody. Uh huh. And then I would change to the next button and do the same thing. And I would go all the way through three rows of buttons with each, each row had what, eight? Were you looking to see what fit? No, I was just playing a song. Whoa. That was every chord and playing. This little sort of and the melody would change depending on what chord I went to, and and it was it would change just by one note generally, 
because you would hear like, oh, that note doesn't fit anymore. Now I have to play that note, play this little thing. And it, it playing the entire song probably took 15 minutes <laughs> because I had to make it, you know, I did, I gave every it's chord. Like a, it's almost like, like what, like exercise, like running a circuit. Yeah, right. Every chord I would give, I would give 16 bars and I would just find in the, in the little three or, you know, three notes, I would find the little melody. Wow. And just work my way all the way through it. And my sister would hear me doing it and come in and dance. <laughs> and this was like a thing. And then I would get to the end and I would turn off the organ and I would be done. Uh, sometimes if Susan was really dancing and I was really having a jam in time, I would start over at the top again and I would work my way back through the buttons. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And it was, I don't know what I was learning. I was just learning some kind of like, here's how little melodies change when you move from, I'm not even sure I understood, I understood what was happening. That, but that was, to me, that was part, part of the fun. There's nothing about it. Where, like, to me, it was actually like, embarrassing. What I was doing was not anything that I would ever do in front of people mm -hmm. because it was so dorky. But I mean, you know, I, and again, this is one of those like this should be in my biopic. But like, <clears throat> that's one of those stories where like, yeah, you know, that actually was the probably the single biggest thing that got me to figure out enough about music to fumble my way around. Mm -hmm. Well, like, well, no, no, because here's the problem. I mean, like, we talked so much in the past about like learning guitar and how you and I both like never got that good at guitar or but like but eventually you power through it to where you know the patterns. Yeah. To where you know these, like, you know, the one, four, five for wherever you go, because you eventually learn bar chords, but you don't figure that out eventually. At first, you just have to learn all these open chords and then figure out how they fit together. Yes. And, and the thing is, I'm, I'm not putting this well, but your, your body and your brain are not able to process the music part of it. You're thinking about the mechanics of moving your hands around and trying to, like, fret properly and keep in tune and all that kind of stuff. But with the organ and with the buttons, I could just figure out, like, like pure chord changes. Yes. And I, I would make these really fruity, like psychedelic and blue sky, sunshine, kind of like, you know, chord changes. And it, it delighted me, but it was so dorky. I would never do that in front of somebody. Well, that's one of the things about having a sibling <clears throat> is that your sibling is close enough to you that you cannot, <clears throat> excuse me, you mm -hmm. cannot uh, avoid doing dorky th things in front of your sibling. <laughs> right. And so like the idea that I would, I mean, I'm sure there, there arrived a time when I would do my my little organ uh, jam and my sister would come in to dance and I was like, get out of here! I'm doing my own jam! I'm not even sure that ever happened. I feel like that's one, that's one thing where... That's a, nice, that's, a nice, that's a nice story and a nice image. Yeah, it's a little bit of a thing that you and your sister share that no one could be embarrassed by because it's never occurred to you that, that this happens outside, that this is happening outside of your small world. Right. But uh, but yeah, the the guitar still is a mystery to me. Uh, the way all the music uh, overlaps itself and interacts with itself, and I still routinely discover something where I'm like, "Oh, whoa! Wait a minute! That thing is that thing." Oh, like it's it's still like occurring to you. It still happens all the time. Where yeah. where I'll be, I'll I will have been playing something for years, and I'll. I'll stop doing it for a second and try and figure out what it is, this thing that I've been doing for years. Oh, because like, like you, you've been doing it and it's in your, it's in your hands, yeah. but you haven't really like, like logically processed it like, or put it on a grid or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's in, not only in my hands, it's in my songs. It's on my albums. Mm -hmm. Like 
for a long time, I couldn't have told you what the actual chords to the song Stupid were. Hmm. If you'd asked me, I'd be like, I don't know. It's almost, like, it's almost like key commands. I mean, that, that sounds silly, but like when I try to explain to somebody how to do something that I've done on the computer, I, I have to change to a completely different mode of thinking because yeah. I'm so used to just doing this thing with my fingers. I've never verbalized anything about what I'm doing, and I sound like a complete idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Like, I don't know how to play it. I mean, I don't know how to tell you how to do it. Somebody right. asked me on the internet the other day. I was, uh, they were like, how do you, like, what's the strum pattern to your song, uh, It'll Be a Breeze? And I was like, huh? what? <laughs> Put the pick in your hand and it is, strum it is the chord. It's erratic. It's one of your erratic uh, sounding songs. Well, so I so so my <clears throat> my initial response to him was like, yeah, put a pick in your hand and strum it. I don't know what. what listen to it and strum it like it sounds. And he wrote back and was like, okay, thanks. And I kind of walked around for a couple of days, kind of feeling bad. Like, did I? That was was I mean? I mean, I don't understand the, even the question. So I listened to the song, and I was like, oh, I guess I see. You know, I guess I see what you're saying. It's um. You know, it's no, I don't even know the chords. And I, and so I started to play it. Mm -hmm. It feels so natural, but I'm sitting here and counting it out. It's it's it sounds a little weird. And so so I you know I don't know who this person was, but I like turned my phone on myself and strummed it into a little video and sent it to the guy like oh, oh that's here, so cool here's how it is i mean i don't i'm not sure I, you know what i realized is that there's a real up stroke mm -hmm. you know strum strum you know there's a there's a very much a a swing to the arm and as i started to do it i realized there are a few songs that i have where i where the arm does this kind of almost like a the a gesture that a that you would do if you were pretending to be the conductor of an orchestra hmm. like the kind of fake fluidity of a hand that's kind of swinging around with an imaginary baton going like la -de 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 -de. right and as i'm strumming my hand is actually kind of swinging around that's kind of a trademark move of yours the swinging around hand well the after a strum up there's like kind of a flourish, a little bit Pete Townsend y kind of flourish. Yeah, a little flourish, but it's, but the flourish is, I'm not conscious of it as a mm -hmm. decorative element. The flourish is there to give my hand something to do in the air before it comes down because, because there's a rhythmic, you know, and the hand's got to do something in those little zip, but, um, and so it kind of goes up and spins around spins around a little bit like a like a little hummingbird like wee whoop and i don't i don't think about it it's just what's and i didn't think about it it just ended up like it just feels like a very natural strum and and then the hand you know the hand just naturally did that uh but it's that type of thing that i couldn't describe it i don't know that i'm doing it and i did not learn it mm -hmm. what do you do How, what do you call that i know and then you discover it and you're like, oh shit, you know, don't, I, I don't want to know about that. Like if I start thinking about it, I'm going to get, I might get all screwed up. 
Well, yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> I, is that how it is with key commands? Uh, it could be. It could be, but I'm thinking like, I mean, I was never very good at music theory. I mean, I learned just enough to be dangerous, but you know, there are people, actually people who listen to this show who are very gifted at music theory yeah. and they can do stuff like, <clears throat> I still, I can't tell you the difference between six, eight and three, four time. Cause oh. I think it's got, just go to lowest common denominator. It's all three, four. Other people have very strong feelings. I, I wouldn't know how to count that to know the difference. Mm -hmm. uh, you probably can, but like there's, um, but there are, there are people out there who would think about in their head. I think they're probably thinking along the lines of like, how would I notate this? You know, and you get those little, like, even in the Beatles, think about something like, um, uh, my way. we can work it out. Mm -hmm. Think about the time signatures on We Can Work It Out. It's not a super complex song, but like, the life is very short and there's a time for fussing and fine. Three, four, boom, boom, boom. Uh -huh. I have always thought, you know, and obviously bands like Rush. So I think and sometimes people are like counting in their head. If you've ever yeah. been a serious like band nerd, you have to learn how to conduct, you have to learn how to count. And I don't know, I think that's probably part of it. Just we never do that because we're like, ah, it's just a rock song. <laughs> You know. Well, there's a lot of three, four in the long winters. Oh, I know cinnamon and and six, eight, uh, and some of it is not where you kind of expect it to be, or or um, you know, the time signature stuff. How, well, don't give me a kick. Is it school me? What's the difference? Well, see, this is the thing. For years and years, I would just when other musicians would be playing on that stuff with me, or I'd be trying to explain it, I would just say waltz. It's waltzy. Waltzy. Walt, yeah. Waltz time. It's a boom, boom, boom song. Boom, 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 boom. For anybody and, out there who doesn't know or care, the, the two general kinds of time signatures, you got 4-4, four, four, which is almost all music we listen to in the West, mm -hmm. which is could basically be described as boom, ba chicka boom, ba chicka or like boom, 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 boom four, boom, one, boom, two, boom, three, boom, four. Boom, boom, and then you know a waltz when you hear it because it goes one, two, three, one, two, three. And that's three, four time, right? Mm -hmm. But now six, eight, you got me. One, four, five, six, seven. I mean, six, eight, I know it when I feel it. It feels different than three, four. And I don't know how to I don't know how to talk about it. Yeah. I just and I write things in six eight uh also and don't know and I just I feel I feel the difference and it swings differently. Hmm. And I'm sure it has something to do with something where the math of it and the counting, you know, because music is math. Yeah. And ma yeah. and math is science. And science <laughs> is nature. And nature is love. Right? So I start at love. And I get to music, oh. but I but it's like shoots and ladders, mm -hmm. right? Some people some days are, it's ladders, but other days it shoots. That's right. And mm -hmm. I just sometimes I just shoot down mm -hmm. to the song without passing through science, math, and nature. Just pure love. I, I go from love to song mm. on a shoot while a lot while the guys in Rush are climbing up the ladder. Oh, sure, Jacob's ladder, right? And I start at the top of the shoot where mm. they start at the bottom of the ladder. And who knows what happens? They arrive at twenty one twelve, and I get somewhere where I can't tell other musicians how my songs go. Ah, uh, I'm looking at the uh, Wikipedia page. I know you're 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 a fan of Turn It On again, right? Yeah, we talked about this. Turn it on again. Dun, 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 dun. Turn it on again. Six four seven four thirteen four thirteen eight. Blarg. The main part. All I want is a TV show. I think that's thirteen eight. That's nice. Isn't that crazy? 13-8. 13-8. And it's such a pop song. Ba -dum -bum. Oh, it's so good. My, uh, my I new song. I can listen to that song on repeat. Well, sure. That's oh, how it's you such know. a good song. That's how you know a song. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, I don't know what has happened this week. I've had too much coffee, but you are yeah. bringing so much fucking folk wisdom to our yeah. audience. Yeah. So all these things that seem really obvious. They're not, they're not obvious, though. That's uh, why they need to be said. 
I have a I have this new song that hasn't been really properly recorded yet called Not Moving to Portland and it's about not moving to Portland. <laughs> that song's and, been around for a pretty long time. Well, it has. It's been around for a really long time, but it's never been I get I get uh, I get letters. Sure. Uh, on scented <laughs> stationery. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. As, asking me where can, that song can be found because people want to listen to it. Mhm. And uh, and I say I don't know. It's somewhere. You look for it on the internet, and they're like, "No, no, no! I want the recording of it." And I go, "That's it. I'm sorry. That's just what's there." But I've been thinking seriously about recording it properly so that all the people that don't listen to Long Winter songs on YouTube—that's such a good idea for so many reasons. You you know how the song goes. All you got to do it. is get through the mechanics. No, no, I'm not saying it's easy or simple, but I, you get through the mechanics of recording that, and shit, man, your juices are going again. Shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> shit, dog. Shit, dog. Shit, butt. <laughs> so that song goes four four five four seven four six eight four Jeez. four five four seven four six eight. Um, and totally, you weren't consciously going like, I want to make a rush song. No, 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 no. I was just like, I, I wrote the 5-4 part first. I really liked it and, you know, was jamming along on it. And then if you, if you stay in 5-4, that's fine. But you need, you need something to jazz it a little bit. And 5-4 to 7-4 feels amazing mm. because it's just two more. Mm, right? Mm, mm. Up, down, when you get into the longer ones, when you get into the higher uh, uh, numerators, you uh, notice the weirdness less. Yeah. Like five four, when you sit there and listen to Take Five, the the official song of white people everywhere, um, the official jazz song of the whites, like that really feels like a little wonky. But when you get into the higher ones, you don't notice. Like, oh, turn it on again, you you would not notice that that is such a crazy time signature. Well, here's the thing about thirteen eight. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's Thir- thirteen eight is thirteen eight is six four twice plus one. Well, I mean, most obviously, I think so. Most obviously, it's four four three times plus one. Well, see if you're going to be like that. Oh no, it's it's basically it's ba- basically play four uh, three bars of a rock song and then add a beat. Yeah, just add one beat. So all it all so that added beat <clears throat> feels like that's how that's five four. You know that's. Uh, I mean the the extra beat is just is easy to throw in, and the the rest just feels like four four the ninety nine percent of the tune if that's how you're playing it or if you're playing it six eight like you know you you do the pattern you do it three times and then you hit a little like but up uh, that's like that I feel like that's pretty county like everybody's kind of counting it until they until they're just feeling it and they're following the vocal yes. Um, but that stuff is super fun, and then you throw, then then you go into like Soundgarden Land, and that's my least favorite part of Disneyland. Soundgarden Land, Soundgarden Land, Soundgarden Land. See, that's the other band. Soundgarden is. What was I singing? You were singing the uh, the Pearl Jam band. Oh, but I'm doing pretty news to the tune of Eddie Vedder. Well, but. And I don't like what you got. And then he goes, hang on, firm. 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 <laughs> Doesn't he is, sing back up on that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah because that was... Because uh, they were both was, in the uh, Green River Band. That was the band when... Well, Eddie Vedder was never in the Green River Band. Oh. And either, either was Chris Cornell. So the guy, with, the guy with the hat and the bass was in Green River? 
Got Out the Hat in the Base was in Green River, and Stone Gossard was oh, in Green Stone River. Stone Gossard. And, see, Green River was Pearl Jam plus Mud Honey. Mm. Genius but, plus love equals Jackie Rogers Jr. <laughs> but you're thinking of Temple of the Dog, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to reach down and pick the crowd up. Which one is that? That's uh, Hungry. Yeah, Hungry. That's what that is. And that was the one... So that song, boy, it's confusing. It's like it's like a Rat King. It's just it is a Rat King. Very difficult to figure out all these bands. That was the introduction that the world had to Eddie Vedder. They'd never heard of him before, and that music video of them, I guess, standing on a beach around the, a campfire. The, the, the uh, hungry song. Yeah. Oh, I I, I thought it was um, the one before Jeremy. Ten. Oh, uh, oh yeah, but but even flow came. So my understanding, my understanding of that era, which let me let me just jump out and say is pretty comprehensive, uh, is that Temple of the Dog came out. That was Chris Court. Now, any for anybody following along at home who doesn't care, uh, you need to start caring. Uh, stop not caring is one of my. That's well, one of my oh, mantras, you right? You are so wise. Right? Stop not caring. Stop not caring. So uh, there, there was a guy in Seattle named Andrew Wood mm. who fronted a band uh, called, uh, what the fuck were they called? Mother Love Bone? Mother no, Love no. Bone. Mother Love Bone. Mother Love Bone. Uh, what, about, Lo- what about Mud Honey? Is Mud Honey from Seattle? Oh, yeah. Keep oh, it out of my face. Keep it out of my face. That's right. Touch me, I'm sick. Touch me, I'm sick. See, they, they're like they're like they're they're in a, in a whole different place. Uh, but they got lumped from, in with all that. Uh, you know, uh, the lead singer of Mud Honey hmm. uh, is uh, he uh, works at Sub Pop Records. Huh. He's still around. That and, makes sense. Uh, you know, they're all still around because Seattle. You know what mm, I mean? Like, yeah. Da- everybody's down with the cause here. It's like a college uh, town. Those guys are definitely down. They're down with the struggle. Hmm. But Andrew Wood was a very flamboyant lead singer of Mother Love Bone during the era where it was unclear whether Seattle was going to be a, a, like a hair metal town mm-hmm. or whether it was going to be something else like a shitty grungy town, which is what it ended up that ended up being popular. Oh, there we go. Mother Love Bone. So Mother Love Bone was they were hair farmers and they were wearing scarves and mm. eye makeup. That's kind of glam. Very super glam, and it was coming out of the like poison, uh, uh, put a cherry on it, whatever LA scene. Oh, look at that! They do. I had no idea. They look a little bit, uh, yeah, 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 or or like yeah. you know, uh, jellyfish minus uh, pop. They've got a yeah, kind of like yeah. a '60s throwback kind of thing. Yeah, but but that was what was happening in '89, right? That. Everybody's wearing paisley shirts with big sure. poofy sleeves and and type of guitars. And like put a what look what the cat dragged in style like like teased up hair, and so that band also had, uh, I mean they were like one of the big bands here at the time, and Stone Gossard was also in that and band. Jeff Ament was in the band. So they went from the huh. from the one band with Mud Honey, where they were pulled in different directions. Because if you look at the if you look at Green River, the uh, the Mud Honey, so ha- it's half Mud Honey. Steve Turner, the guitar player uh, of uh, Mud Honey, is in Green Apple Green 
River. There was also a band called Green Apple Quick Step, and I keep stumbling over them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But so those guys were punk, and then Stone and Jeff were like glam. And in Seattle at the time, you could just do that. Wow. You know what I'm. You know what I mean. You could just do that. You could just have a band that was like half punk, half glam. <laughs> but then it turned into uh, Mother Love Bone, which was all glam all the time. Okay. All glam, no sham mm, mm, mm. Uh, is what we used to not say. Mm. <laughs> and, and Andrew Wood was one of these guys that was like, ah, can I get the ladies up here? You know, he was like a David Lee Rothy kind of yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, right. And he was, wait a minute, wait for it, mm-hmm. wait for it, Chris Cornell's roommate and best <gasps> friend. Turns out. Turns out Chris Cornell's roommate and best friend. And Chris Cornell was in? Soundgarten. Her. Sundgartenstein. And, but Soundgarten was not especially glam. They were much more, mm-hmm. they, weren't, they weren't like punk either. They, they were, were like metal. They were Zeppelin-y metal. Zeppelin-y metal. Yeah, but no, wait, no, were the Melvins from Seattle? The Melvins were from Olympia, Washington. Okay, sorry. All right. And they were they repped South Sound pretty hard. But they were the Melvins were I, I I'm again the Rat King. For me, Melvins are more like Sabbathy. Yeah, well, yeah, like Punky Sabbath. Punky Sabbath, the, yeah. The Melvins were very influential because the Melvins were the band that Kurt Cobain wanted to be in. They oh. were the they were the cool band that that Nirvana like was always sort of like hey hey you guys can we carry your amps okay like it was they were seriously uh they were like the godfathers of that vibe but the melvins had no time for any of this bullshit mm-hmm. they were just they weren't into glam they were doing their own south seattle south like olympia style that's the shit where they had like moss growing in their in their nostrils and stuff <laughs> like that part of washington is just what what is the equivalent there is no equivalent in California. There are definitely equivalents in in Oregon to this. It's like a college town full of anarcho hippie kind of like Santa Cruz. No, because Santa Cruz is too it's too clean and too surfer. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Santa, for sure. It's, Santa Cruz is oriented toward the water, and in the sort of Olympia Aberdeen nexus, it is also oriented to the water but but it's like oriented to more like a, a dragon the river for bodies kind of way exactly like yeah. like you go out there you're harvesting sea life hmm. and then you're bringing it back and selling it in order to pump up the tires on your mobile home because you keep <laughs> thinking that you're going to put it behind the truck and trail it somewhere no, that's a springsteen song. <laughs> you know what i mean like you know I what, honey? Get my tires filled, and for you know, my 19th birthday, I got a fishing license and a bag of pills. <laughs> we're gonna one day, sweetheart. We're gonna get out of this town as soon as I can get the tires on this thing pumped up, and that means I go out to sea one more time. <laughs> Baby, this town rips the veins from your shrimp. <laughs> and I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna get a license to harvest gooey duck, and when I get. Fourteen gooey duck. I'm going to sell them to Japan. I'm going to get new tires on this rig, and we're getting out of here. We're going all the way to Squim. It's Gordon's gonna... Fisherman meets uh, of mice and men. Yeah. Okay. Right. Except there. Tell me. Tell me about the rabbits, George. Except there aren't even like the colorful characters. 
It's kind of like old Greg from the Mighty Boosh. Wow, nice pull. <laughs> I'm old Greg. Uh, you know I'm about old Greg? Greg? I'm old Greg. Like he comes up out of the sea <laughs> and he's, it I turns out he's Greg. Kurt Cobain's uncle or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm Kurt Cobain's uncle. I'm old Greg. <laughs> but so, I get it, Mossy. It's Mossy. That's mm-hmm. right. So Temple of the Dog was Chris Cornell's record that he wrote in tribute to his best friend, Andy Wood, who had recently died of a heroin overdose. Heroin. He was the first big rock star of the Seattle scene to die of heroin. And it was... Was he the last, John? He was not the last, my Mm. friend. In some ways, he he set the tone, which was, hey, if you're going to be a big deal in this town, you're going to have to die of heroin. Yeah. Um, But so Temple of the Dog was the big tribute record that Chris Cornell wrote and then right at the last minute uh, his pals were starting this new band with this kid from California named Eddie Vedder and very generously I like to think it was a very generous move on Chris Cornell's part he was like well why don't you sing on my tribute record to Andy Wood a wow, guy he sang lead on that song a guy you never met right <sighs> or I mean if Eddie Vedder met Andy Wood it was not this is behind the music my friend I did not know these things yeah whoa no Eddie Vedder wouldn't really have met Andy Wood because the reason that Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament even met Eddie Vedder was because their band with uh, Andy Wood had just broken up because Andy Wood died and so they were like, well, we got, you know, we want to do this. Let's form a new band and we'll put out a call for singers. So Eddie, so Chris Cornell's like, yeah, man, why don't you sing on this tribute to my old best pal that was the singer of your bandmate's old band? And like, here you go. Why don't you take the lead on this tune that becomes the big MTV smash mm-hmm. that really touched off the whole Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, metal side of MTV hmm. grunge. Hmm. Ta-da! Mm. Boom, stick the landing. Seattle rock history. Kapow. <laughs> Kaboom. There it is. Hmm. And all those bros, all those bros knew each other and were all bro pals back in the day. And your good friend Jason Finn also knew all those bros. Look at that. Again, always comes back to Jason Finn. Jason Finn, he was there. He was there in his band, Love Battery. <clears throat> right. Uh, who are not very good, let's be honest. <laughs> um, but but uh, I, Jason Finn, did I ever tell you the story? We were walking down the street one time. Uh, it seems like now many years ago, but he was probably already 33 years old. And he's like, God, I'm going to get a tattoo. I was like, do you have any tattoos now? No. Well, you're you're in your 30s. Why are you getting a tattoo? I'm going to get a tattoo of Love Battery. I was like, Love Battery, your band that broke up 10 years ago? And he's like, that's right. <laughs> and so we walked into a tattoo parlor. I don't even know why. I don't I don't know why I was there. You just encounter him on the streets a lot. You run into him a lot. Yeah. yeah you have, you yeah. have many, many of your anecdotes involving Jason Finn uh, involve you running into him on the street. Yeah, you run into well, And then you guys go you have do. a little adventure. That's what you do with Jason. Oh, you have certain questions about what he's doing in that neighborhood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or he has questions about what I'm doing in the neighborhood. <laughs> but, uh, but so I, he went, we went into this tattoo parlor that was back behind the hair salon, kind of up above the Taqueria Express. And he sits in the chair and he's like, here's what I want. And he pulls out the cover art to his sub pop release from 1990 or something like that. And he's like, put that on my arm. And it's the only tattoo he has. Wow. Yeah. And it was some kind of retro. I, at the time, I was like, is this revisionist? Are you putting this tattoo on you as though you had it on then? 
Oh, like, I see. I've had this shirt all along. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yes. this is your band, but you didn't get a tattoo of your band when it was a band. Now you're getting it as post-band. It would almost have be like you'd have to Instagram it a little bit. I mean, you know what I mean? Add a filter. Like, you wouldn't want the... Because he could afford some pretty good ink at this point. You'd want to get the sh- kind of shitty tattoo he would have had in 1990 to have it be legit. But but he said, no, it's not revisionist. I just, Mm-mm. you know, that band was very important to me, and I want to... Uh, I want to commemorate it. Good for him. And what's what's really sad is that when Love Battery gets together now to play shows, I don't think they. I think they get a different drummer. Oh not come because, on! Not because Jason isn't a fantastic drummer, but just because Seattle uh, music politics is weird. And I think maybe Jason <sighs> that's, left. That's horrible. That's like the world's least interesting O. Henry story. Well, except here, except Jason like left Love Battery in a lurch when he got uh, cherry picked to be in the uh, presence in that, in of the band. USA. He's still planning. Yeah, well, no, he's not anymore because the singer of the Presidents of the USA... He does kids' music now. ...decided he wanted to do kids' music exclusively. Casper Baby Pants. And, that's right, Casper Baby I Pants. I follow him on the Twitter. He's a very big deal, and his music is very spectacular, right? And he was like, you know what? Being in a rock band full of uh, people that are playing for grown-ups all the time mm-hmm. means that I have to travel all around mm-hmm. and play these shows for dummies oh, and everybody's drunk. Be flown and we- in to make five or six figures in a stadium for the weekend. Yeah, but he's, you know, he, it's, it's, it's honestly like... No, I, no dude, dude. Yeah. He doesn't need the money anymore. I, I'm no Casper baby pants, but believe me, I understand. Yeah, he's a guy that's like, I don't want to stay up until midnight to wait yeah. to play for a bunch of drunks. I want to, I want to sleep in my own bed, and I can make music for kids <laughs> who really love it. But <sighs> that's nice. So, of, you, what are you going to do with Jason? You got to put that guy to work. Is he playing in a different band now? This is the thing. Jason needs a job now. You should have him play with you. Well, Jason thinks so too, and I, you know, I he's a, love he's a, John. Jason. He's a very good drummer. He's a very good drummer, but that's not the issue, Jake. That's not the issue. Mm-hmm. The issue is that Jason was the was the band manager of the Presidents of the USA. Uh, he was the thing that kind of kept that uh, machine rolling. Oh, he because, was at the Paul. Yeah, because Dave Minert, who used to be the Presidents of the USA uh, manager, they fired him. Uh, for something because they were all too close to each other. They were all in bed with each other. And then Dave Minert signed the Lumineers and now is a million billionaire. So Dave Minert got the last laugh on everybody in this town because he just was like, you know what? I'm band manager. Uh, Let's see. How about if I sign these guys? And, you know, stomp, stomp, stomp. As far as I can tell, did no work at all. And all of a sudden they were... (laughs) They had sold like a million records and (laughs) a lot lot, lot of money in that uh, cell phone commercial music. I was sitting with Dave and he was trying to he was trying to figure out what he was going to like what his next project was going to be and at one point he said well you know one of these days very soon a check is going to literally arrive in my mailbox for a million dollars and so i'm sitting here right now talking to you in uh, in a certain state which is the state of someone who is working uh, and has uh, X amount of dollars, like this, the small amount that you would have if you owned a business. But I've already earned this million dollars. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't arrived in my mailbox yet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is a pregnant moment. Yeah. Well, and like in that kind of situation, you get, I don't want to say you get paid last, but there's a lot of other, a lot of, mo- lot of different monies have to move through different pipes, then be processed with apportionments made to different other people's monies. And it might be quite a while before you see any of that. Well, except he's the manager. So he's the pipes. 
Oh, he's the pipes. He's the pipes, he's the right? Pipes, the okay. money moved into his pipes first. Mm. He piped out at everybody, but this was his personal cut of the money pipe. I get it. And he, so he knew what it was. He knew he had earned it because he watched it go by the first time. Anyway, uh-huh. so the problem with having Jason Finn in the uh, Long Winters is that we talk, we've talked about it many times, and Jason's played with the Long Winters. Uh-huh. But here's, the, here's how the conversation goes. Hey, Jason, do you want to be in the Long Winters? Yes. <laughs> okay, well, let's start talking about tour. And he's like, all right, well, what, what, kind, of, you know, what kind of brand of cables do you use? And I'm like, huh? I don't know. Uh, Smith brand? No, 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 no. You can't use Smith brand. Those are bullshit. Uh, I tell you what, I'll handle that. And I'm like, well, now, whoa, whoa, whoa. How, you've been in the band like 11 so you got to quit seconds. using those bi-directional cables. You know, the, the, those are directional. <laughs> uh, and, and so right away, he's like, try, he's managing the band. And I'm like, now, whoa, 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 settle down. I like those Smith cables. He's like, no, 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 no. So it's not, it's not a musical problem. It's just that he can't not manage me. And I cannot be managed. You see, he's the, a he's a border collie. Yeah, he's that's right. He's he's a he's an Australian shepherd. It's in it's in his it's in his breeding. The first thing to, he thinks to do is grab people by their pants and drag them through the yard. Yeah, he's trying to get me to go through the gate, uh, and then uh, then turn and go through the second gate, and then go up over the hill, go through a third gate, and then have everybody like uh, whatever go into a corral. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I uh, am an eagle. Hmm. Who does not want to work with the turkeys, right? Uh, and so, you know, I'm I'm in my cubicle, and I have that sign posted on the outside of the door, which is a, a real slap in the face to everyone I work you, with. How can you soar with eagles if you're flying with turkeys? Yeah, yeah. God, you're wise. See, that's serious business. And so, what? So, and what we end up doing is going to dim sum and talking about something else. That's smart. But up until now, I haven't. There's not what you know. What what band? What band could I could I even have him be the drummer in? Yeah. Um, but I got an interesting text message the other day from the bass player of Pretty Girls Make Graves, hmm. who said, uh, "Who was, as you know, the former bass player of the Murder City Devils?" Oh yeah, right. Okay, I, di- I did not know that. He texted me and said, hey, why don't we play some music? That's a nice text message. Right? And I was like, whoa. Like the Murder City Devils into Pretty Girls Make Graves. That's a pretty cool kid music lineage that was, you know, was like uh, parallel lines with my music lineage, but sort of never intersect. I feel like I've seen the Murder City. I feel like I've seen them like at uh, Bottom of the Hill. Yep, probably did. Did they set their piano on fire? Were they? Yeah, I'm looking at pictures here. I don't remember piano fire. That was kind of one of their signature moves later on. They uh, they they hired a piano player, a, a, a young woman who was very rock and roll, and one of the things they did was set their piano on fire. Oh, that's nice. It's you know like you set your guitar on fire. That's been done. A bunch we don't of have to move it, right? I mean, it's the thing when you were talking about your uh, your uh, the uh, the the lady who plays the the vibes. I instantly thought of Ben Folds Five. Uh, and the story goes that on their first tour, they actually toured with a baby grand piano. <laughs> so they would have to go think about the places you've gone and go like, oh, I got to take my amp up there. And they would have a baby grand piano that they would have to carry up steps. Idiots. Take, take, take the, it's, it's ridiculous. Idiots. Uh, you know, Keen, the, uh, my good, uh, good pals from Inglang, uh, they have a very, very uh, special 
piano that confusingly no one else uses, which is the Yamaha CP70, I think, which is an electric piano that has strings. Oh, but it doesn't sound like a, a Rhodes. No, that's the thing. <clears throat> uh, the Rhodes is actually kind of a vibraphone. The Rhodes, it's a very different sound. So it's like it's hitting bars. It is, yeah. It's hitting little bars that go boop, 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 boop. Boy, are they ever heavy. Those things are so heavy. Well, you think those are heavy? Look up a CP7. Am, it's a piano. It's yes. A, it's an it's a, it's a infant grand. But, it, but it, it's collapsible. It collapses into uh, like... The, Wait, this has strings and yeah. hammers in it? Yeah. Yeah, but it's an electric piano. How does it stay in tune? Like if you're if you're like going through Florida, how would it stay in tune? This is the thing. So Keen, this is their signature piano. Okay, it's on all their things. Uh, Tim Rice Oxley plays it at every show, and they arrive in a town, and then a piano tuner comes and tunes their piano every night before the show, <laughs> which is not a small <laughs> operation. Not, sounds like a euphemism. That's right. You show up before the <laughs> yeah, show. I feel like I'm buying tune my piano. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Tune my piano, baby. Mm-hmm. Hit that low C, lower. Uh, uh, which is that is an incredible. Um, that's an incredible deal, right? Of touring with one of those. But then talking I got, about privilege, my goodness. I got home. Well, this is the this is the this is the trick. I got home and was talking to my brother Bart, and I was like, "Yeah, I just did this tour with uh, with Keen, and they're playing this piano called CP70 because you know my brother's a professional piano player, and." Bart said, oh, yeah, I used to tour with the CP70. Well, Bart, when he says tour, he means travel in a Ford van with no back seat, like a, like a, like a black flag ba- van, mm-hmm. and play at Ramada Inns across the Northwest. And I was like, you play? You tour with a CP70? That's insane. Mm. And he's like, yeah, I used to tour with a Hammond B3 with a, ro- with a, ro- a, a speaker, a rotating speaker. And he said we'd show up to the thing and I'd get my uh, hand truck out and the other guys wouldn't even help me. I would just load, I'd load the B3 and the Leslie in myself oh every my night and load it out at the end of the night. So I'm like, I got to see your CP70. So he takes me down in his basement in Yakima Here's this piano, completely shredded, right? All the Tolex is ripped. It looks like it's been dropped off of a building. It looks like the Toyota Hilux that uh, was in the TV show. Um, uh, uh, what's the English uh, car TV show? Top Gear? Uh, Top Gear. There's that Toyota Hilux that they tried to destroy. Oh, is that where they like drive a, drive a yucky car? Uh, no, that it's thing. not that. It's they bought a new Toyota and they tried to destroy it so that the engine wouldn't start. Okay. And they actually dropped it from a crane, and they drove it into a lake. I mean, they destroyed this truck, and then they would get in it and they'd turn the key and the the motor would start. It was kind of like a running. Oh, game. to show how durable it was. To show how durable it was. Got it. Okay. Anyway, so Bart's like, "Yeah, I don't want that fucking thing. It's it's taking up my basement," and he gave it to me. <laughs> wow. And right now, I have a totally trashed Yamaha CP70. In the closet of my back bedroom, oh, and I don't know what to do with it. Uh, but you, I can't throw it get, away. You could get rid of it. Well, I could. <laughs> <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Shit, dog. <laughs>